The Blur Havoc podcast may contain content some may find offensive, vulgar, or inappropriate for work or school. All views expressed on this show solely belong to the individual that expressed them. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to the first official inaugural episode of the Blur Havoc podcast. That's right. This is the real first episode. So, uh, in case you weren't aware, episode zero is the trailer, and that's just a little bit of a briefing, so to speak, of what we're going to be talking about here. But this right here is the real first episode. So, what are we going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about objectivity and subjectivity, because it'll be, while episode zero is kind of laying the groundwork to, you know, set your expectations. This episode right here is going to be basically the the prerequisite to like watch watch or listen to the rest of my content. Because what I'm going to explain here today is going to help you understand all of the things that I explain and use later on to judge art and media and storytelling in general. So, objectivity versus subjectivity. Well, Let's debunk the first thing, um, which is that art can art cannot be objective. Art is subjective. That's not true, okay? So, with all forms of art, there are rules that need to be followed. Um, there are objective ways to measure whether you did something correctly or incorrectly, inconsistently or consistently. Um, such as in, say, like visual art, such as drawing, um, Anatomy is something that is something you have you have to learn anatomy when you when you learn how to draw um, because you can objectively point at something and say that anatomy is incorrect or it is inconsistent when someone's biceps are not proportional with their forearms or someone's leg is like one of their legs is longer than the other one so that's uh, objective that is an objective criticism um, so anatomy is one objective way to qualify whether or not something is good or not um another being uh perspective perspective is another one where um say there's a character that you're drawing in a scene and there's a character in the front but there's a character also in the distance but the character in the distance is the same size as the character that's closer to the screen that is incorrect um usually when you're drawing perspective if someone is far away you draw them smaller while if someone is closer you draw them larger um, because that's how it looks in the real world. When you see someone far away, they look smaller. They're not actually smaller, but they look smaller. Um, so if you do that incorrectly, where, you know, you're drawing someone who's 50 feet away, the same size as someone who is right next to the camera, doesn't look right. So now that I've explained how art can be objective, how, how does that work with storytelling? Let's, uh, let's break this down a little bit. Um, so my time in college, I've learned one of many things about storytelling. Um, and that one of the biggest rules when it comes to storytelling is show, don't tell. Now, this work, this this is followed to various degrees. When I get into anime, we're, we're going to talk about how anime doesn't necessarily follow that, so to speak. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about that at another time. 
but for Western storytelling at the very least, uh, show don't tell is a general rule. Um, if it can be shown, then show it. If it cannot be shown, then tell it in as little words as possible. Like, you don't want to have characters talking for paragraphs at length about a concept. Um, and that was one of the things I remember my editor in my first book said that that was one of the things that she really enjoyed because she doesn't necessarily, she didn't necessarily enjoy sci-fi, but she enjoyed the, she enjoyed my book because I didn't compound exposition on top of exposition. My strategy for exposition, well, let's actually define what exposition is. Exposition is when you, um, my dog is barking. <laughs> exposition is when you take the time to explain to the audience what a concept is or information backstory um stuff like that um basically information um now exposition doesn't necessarily have to be all always verbal uh, it can be i believe exposition depending on the definition exposition can be visual um exposition isn't bad either but like i said we're gonna break that down but exposition um what's an example of exposition say because we, we use exposition all the time in the real world, so to speak. Not necessarily, because we're not telling a story, but actually, yeah, when you're telling a story to somebody, that's exposition. Um, it's explaining, you know, the setup and all of that. Say, you have a story about a uh, guy walks into a bar, orders a, uh, orders a white Russian, um, and the bartender says, hey, you're black. What do you want a white Russian for? And then the black guy says, I'm single. <laughs> I, I I don't know. Shitty jokes aside, <laughs> um, that's a that's exposition. It's it's the explanation of a story. So what does it mean when you show and not tell? Because telling is exposition. Showing is when you use the the medium. Okay, I just cut it away for a second. I had to deal with my dog. Um <laughs> what is what is the equivalent of showing something rather than telling something? So when you show something, you show information by, say, focusing on an item and that tells you about uh, something, about that character. Um, when you, um, like, I'm, I'm trying to come up with an example here. Uh, say um, there's a man who's really protective of his daughter, right? And as a matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, the fourth Transformers movie does this. Um, there's a man who's protective of his daughter, and it it zooms in on a, a photo of the man, the, the the daughter as a baby, and then this woman that isn't around anymore. Like, you haven't seen this woman. So, from that visual, you know, bit of information, you learn, without any words being told, that this man is protective of his daughter because his wife is dead. It's a, it's a much more indirect and cleaner way of giving information instead of having a scene where the father tells the daughter, one of, these are one of these lines that I can't stand, but say the father tells the daughter, as you know, ever since your mother died, I've been very protective. I just can't help it. Like, as you know, if, if she knows about it, then why, why are we having this discussion? You know, it's kind of a strange, it's kind of a strange you know, thing that they do in, in movies and TV shows and books and video games where you have lines like that that really just, they kind of, they, they, they stick out to me because it doesn't make sense. Lines that are uh, prefaced with, 
as you know, or I don't need to tell you this, but you know the drill, but I don't like lines like that because when you think about it, it's like, okay, so if you know this, if you are aware of this, then why are you telling me? In a meta sense, it's because they it's information that needs to be told to the audience, but they have to disguise it through dialogue. Which really the better way of doing that would to have to to have the character that is being told this actually not know that. I mean, of course it doesn't work in all instances, such as, you know, of course the the daughter in my earlier example would know that her mother is dead, so I don't have to explain I don't have you wouldn't have to explain that to her. But say it's something like um, two spies, right? And um, one of the spies is new. Um, so the more experienced spy has to explain how the tools work and how the universe works. That's, that's a, a tried and tested way of getting away with exposition. Because a character that doesn't know things it gets a pass by when, when one of the more experienced characters explains things to them. You know? So that's why you'll see it a lot in, in like... Uh, like in later um, installments, such as Mass Effect 3, James Vega was created specifically for this purpose. Bioware actually admitted that that was the reason for them creating his character, was because in the third game they wanted a character to be a vessel for uh, players that were not aware of what happened in Mass Effect 1 and 2. Um, And even then, James Vega has his own backstory, so he's not just a plot device, he's an actual character. Um, If you watch Mass Effect Paragon Lost, I believe is what it's called yeah that's his backstory um but that's um that's that's the idea behind show don't tell now now let's go a little bit deeper because that most people that have a surface level uh understanding of film understand that that's one of the rules show don't tell so what's another rule that that you know we don't really know about so to speak um, and this is something I didn't learn in I didn't learn in in college, is that uh, consistency. Consistency is a very big thing. It's something that can affect your characters. It's something that can affect your plot line, your story. Um, and what do I mean by consistency? Um, we're gonna leave out the 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 movie. You probably know what movie it is. Came out in twenty seventeen. Let's just not talk about it right now. We're going to try to last as long as possible without referencing that movie. So what's another good idea? Um, we'll just make an example. Say say there's a character that in movie one is established to be somebody who is strictly anti-alcohol. He abstains from drinking alcohol. Um, he doesn't like the taste of it. Um, reason being is that like, um, oh, his best friend was killed in like a car crash or something and his best friend was drunk or something like that. So he decides not to drink any alcohol. So an uh, an example of an inconsistency would be in movie two, uh, this character that has abstained from alcohol in movie one just goes to a bar and casually just knocks back an entire drink. No no comment or anything. Um, That is inconsistent. And what you need to do, it's not that you can't get away with it. See, here's the thing is that people honestly believe that if something is inconsistent, that it just doesn't work, and that is the problem in and of itself. No, not necessarily. Um, what you can do is that, well, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that in a moment, but um, the reason this is a problem is because it shows, it shows general disrespect for the character that is established. It shows that you don't really care about what makes this character this character. 
um, you just want to put the scene or the moment before the character, or you just forgot. But either way, it shows that that you've you've disregarded what has been established for this character. Another example being, say, there's a character that doesn't know how to drive, or doesn't know how to swim. In movie two, he suddenly knows how to swim or suddenly knows how to drive, and then movie three, the writer suddenly remembers, oh crap, he's not supposed to know how to do that, and then they try to make up for it later. That shows a general disrespect for what has been established because you didn't take the time to remember that, hey, this is an issue um, that you need to write around. You need to fix this. You need to explain how they can solve this problem without with this with this hindrance on this character. So when movies kind of, you know, skip over that kind of content, such as, uh, you know, characters having defects or characters having um, fatal flaws, such as uh, in- incredible anger or cowardice to specific situations, when you forget those flaws or traits exist in your second film, that is inconsistent. Or hell, we don't even have to do the a different film sometimes i've seen cases where characters are inconsistent within the same film an example being a uh, predator where there's the kid the the kid the the kid of the main character right uh, he has autism and he's established to be this character that like is super like sensitive to sound he he like there's a fire drill at the there's a fire alarm that goes off at the beginning of the movie because there's some bully characters that pull it and he starts he starts freaking out because he's sensitive to sound. So he curls up in a ball and covers his ears. Um, but later in the movie, he's around explosions and aliens screaming and gunfire, and he just doesn't freak out. So it's a bit it's a bit inconsistent in that regard. Not even a bit. It's incredibly inconsistent. His characterization is inconsistent as well, um, such as the fact that in the beginning of the movie, he's a bit shy. He doesn't like going out because people make fun of him. But later in the movie, he's really snarky and super sociable. Um, he even tells the he even tells the bad guy his dad is coming to kill him, which is really ballsy for a kid to tell a bad guy who is known for killing, like just killing people. It's kind of strange and out of character. But that's a, that's an example of inconsistency within your own movie. That's the most egregious one. I'm willing to I'm willing to forgive a little bit of forgotten characterization in between movies, especially if the writer is different, such as like the MCU movies. Uh, sometimes the characterization is a little inconsistent because there are different directors for different movies, but I'm willing to give, a, give that a pass because it's different directors and different writers. Um, but within the same movie, completely unacceptable because that's a one-man project, a one- or two-man project, especially if it's a two-man project. Come on now. Um... But let's talk about um, how we can how how we can really work around that. How we can um, say you want to have a subversive a subversive take on a character. Um, like say there's a character that you you want that originally was like super idealistic, but in the next entry you want that character to be super cynical, super realistic, super super uh, pessimistic. You have to explain to us why that change happened. You can't just change that character. You have to explain why it happened. Because people are willing to accept that characters change, characters develop. Such as uh, Captain America is a, is a good example. Where in the beginning of his trilogy, he's a, uh, he's a man that um, was super idealistic and wanted to serve his country. Um, 
but as the the trilogy goes on, he begins to realize that um, patriotism um, does not mean standing, you know, standing by and letting your government do whatever it wants simply because you love your country. Loving your country is different from uh, loving your government. Um, and you can see that transition from Captain America one to Captain America three, where Captain America stops taking orders from people and begins to operate on his own and operate based off of what is right, what is right and what is wrong by his own values. So that's a good example of uh, of characters changing for the better and giving us good explanations, such as um, the fact that when Winter Soldier, the entire plot um, is the reason why Captain America becomes a little bit jaded by the government and he begins to operate on his own ideals rather than government order. Um, because the government was behind uh, the Winter Soldier program. Uh, Hydra was taking control of S.H.I.E.L.D. and using Bucky as, a, as an attack dog. And Captain America was working for him. And then when he realizes, oh man, the, the bad guys were controlling me too. He was like, I, don't, I no longer take orders from people just because they are above me. I take orders from people because I believe in their ideals. Or he doesn't take orders from people. He just works off of what he believes is right. So that's a good a good example of a character who changes and there we are given good reasons for why this character changes. So most people were willing to accept that I believe. I know I'm willing to accept it. You just have to explain to us why these changes happened. Um like say a character um like say earlier example, a character that was not into alcohol, didn't like drinking alcohol. In the second movie, you want to have a scene where he's drinking alcohol. Well, why is he drinking alcohol? You could say um, he's trying to get past it. He's trying to get past that inhibition. Um, he's trying to loosen up a little bit. He doesn't want to be seen as a stick in the mud, um, and he wants to uh, he wants he wants to loosen up a bit. Basically, um, that's I feel like that's fair enough. You could as long as you take it in steps. You don't have him knock him back like like. Jack and a Coke, like, <laughs> like it's like it's like it's Pepsi. Like you don't you don't want to have that. Um, but have have take it in steps. Where in the first movie he doesn't drink any alcohol at all. Second movie he takes like sips out of it. He doesn't like the taste of it, but he takes sips out of it, and he's like, I'm trying. And then in the third movie he's drinking it a little bit more casually. He still grimaces a little bit when he drinks, but he's drinking it like it's an actual drink rather than rather than medicine. <laughs> Uh, so that would be how you would do that in practice. Um, take gradual steps so that we can see the progression of this character. But yeah, um, now in terms of that, that was just in terms of character. What about plot? Um, in, in, inconsistencies in plot are a bit easier to point out because you can usually catch it because it doesn't make sense when you actually pay attention to what is happening. Like, say there's a character that explains that uh, geez there okay there's a there's a moment in this game what is it called it's a transformers game i don't know whose kid is screaming outside but they need to stop uh transformers rise of the dark spark um there's a moment where shockwave explains that hey i have the dark spark i cannot drop this if i drop this from an we cannot okay so let me slow down <laughs> let me slow down so in Transformers Rise of the Dark Spark, Shockwave has this item called the Dark Spark, which is this super powerful MacGuffin, basically, that can 
control things or something. It's never really explained what the Dark Spark does. Um, and one of the other Decepticons is like, hey, Shockwave, why don't we just fly it to Kaon? We don't have to walk. We just fly. And then Shockwave is like, "That we can't do that because if I drop it, it would cause a Shockwave that would destroy everything, right? And it's like, okay, cool. So you've, you've established that. You've established that as the case. So literally about five minutes later, there's a scene where Shockwave is up against, like he's on a bridge up against some like Autobots, right? And he's like cornered. And Shockwave, the absolute clud, just jumps off the bridge to escape and falls to like like 70 feet or 70 feet relative to a giant robot. So that's like what, like a mile? I don't know. He, he falls though he falls and slams into the ground and there's no explosion there's no reference to the line made earlier about how dropping it could cause an explosion he just gets up and just the game just continues and it's like um so first of all you said dropping it would cause a shockwave that would basically kill everybody right okay so why didn't it explode and kill everybody <laughs> second of all you can fly shockwave can fly he can transform into this weird jet thing and fly. So why did he jump off of a bridge? Third of all, it's 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 established that Shockwave is one of the smartest characters in the Transformers universe, especially one of the smartest Decepticons. What exactly are you trying to say here? Where First of all, he said dropping it would cause an explosion and he jumps off of a cliff. Second of all, he can fly, so why did he jump off? It just makes me wonder... Is this character the smartest Decepticon in the faction? What's going on here, Megatron? Like, what's going on there? Like, <laughs> Shockwave just said, I've lost all sense, <laughs> okay? I, I don't know what they were thinking, but that is a good, a good example of uh, plot inconsistency. Where you have established rules, and then later on in the entry, you have broken the rules for no good reason. Now, you see, how, how could this have worked? Because I like to fix things. I like to fix them so that they work um, within the context that is given. So the rule says you cannot drop, you cannot fly uh, the Dark Spark to K-On because it would cause a shockwave that would kill everybody. Okay, cool. So how can we make it so that we can get shockwave out of the situation? Shockwave can, like, find this makeshift lab where uh, Starscream and uh, Hardshell... Uh, one of the Insecticons are in there, and they're, like, screwing around with the Dark Spark, right? And then Shockwave goes, I, ah, there, I've turned off, I've, I've stabilized it, so now when I drop it, it won't blow everybody up. Okay, cool. That covers one plot hole. Now, the plot hole where he jumps off the bridge for some reason, I, well, let's cover that. Um, easy. Make it so that while he's carrying the Dark Spark, it conflicts with his transformation cog. Yes, a transformation cog. That is a real thing. A transformation cog makes it so that uh, transformers cannot transform when it, is, when it is inactive or removed. So let's make it so that the Dark Spark, while he's carrying it in his chest, his transformation cog cannot activate. So uh, I don't know who's calling me. Um, spam. So that would cover that one. So that so now you can have that moment where he jumps off the bridge if you really wanted it. I don't want it, but I'm just working with what I'm given here. Um, so that would cover... Um, all of those and then passively fix the issue of making shockwave look like a dumbass so now we've established that shockwave is competent and he can fix 
the dark spark, make it stable so that if he drops it, it doesn't blow everybody up. And then two, make it so that jumping off the bridge was really his only option because his transformation cog cannot activate with the dark spark in his chest. So it, it's really simple. It's really simple how to how to correct these mistakes in something that is, uh, hate to break it to you, is a first draft. When you see stuff like that, it's a first draft. Um, there's, a, there's a certain movie that, like I said, we're not going to talk about that movie right now, but there's a certain movie that is kind of a first draft and has first draft-esque mistakes in it, but we're not going to talk about that right now. Um, so that that's a good idea of what objective and subjective is. Now, like I said in my trailer, subjective and objective does not are not mutually exclusive. You can like a movie while it suck while it sucks. Like I love the Transformers movies, but they are bad movies. They are poorly written, and maybe one day we'll break it down here. But they're not well written. Um, and then you, uh, what's a good example? Uh, Brightburn. Brightburn is a movie that was written very well. It was consistent. I just didn't like it. It, it was it was written well enough that you know there wasn't glaring plot holes or anything. I just didn't like it. So there there are two there are instances where you will like something that is not well written, or you'll hate something that is very well written. I know people that don't like Infinity War. Infinity War is probably one of the best well written Marvel movies out there. Second probably only to Winter Soldier or Civil War, but. Yeah, like those are the only the, like there are some people that don't like those movies, and, and and that's fair. But to say that they're poorly written or inconsistent is not telling the truth, especially given the the larger MCU canon. You're, if you say it's inconsistent, you're 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 lying. Come on now, like the amount of continuity porn in Civil War alone is just like, dude, come on. <laughs> but yeah, I think that uh, covers a good overall gist of what. The, the argument of objectivity and subjectivity is um, more some of it is about execution some of it is about being lazy others is about being inconsistent and not take not taking care of details um, so that's an overall crash course on objectivity subjectivity and the, the biggest piece of advice I like to give to people or the biggest piece of criticism I like to give to people is just be consistent pay attention be consistent and um, as I've heard before, like people like say, oh, why well, it doesn't matter. It's just a movie about space wizards or whatever um, or talking giant robots or whatever. It's it, But the thing is, why not be consistent is, is one of the best pieces of the best rebuttal to that um, argument. Why not be consistent? What do you have to lose by being consistent? What do you have to lose by paying attention to what you've written? And making sure it makes sense within your own story. And then on top of that, within the the overall story. Um, so yeah, I, I don't understand why you have to... Why people have to break it down and overall uh, minimalize the impact of good writing. Because it's an art form that is easy, easier said than done. People just think, oh, I could just write about whatever I feel about. And no, you can't. No, you can't. You have to do research. You have to pay attention. You have to make sure that what you're writing actually makes sense within what you have established. And then on top of that, make sure you're doing research to to um, confirm that the things you're saying in this make sense. Because there was a mistake I made in my first book where I had a suppressed Barrett 50 cal. And that is nigh impossible without extreme, extreme, extremely 
pristine and over the top technology. So, yeah, that's that's just something you should be aware of. But um, we're closing in on the two in two minutes to um, our time limit here, so I'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up here. Um, this has been the Blur Havoc podcast. I'm I've been your host, Alistair Haken. Um, don't know what we're gonna talk about next time, but uh, I'll see you around next time. Uh, be cool, stay cool, live cool. I guess we're still trying out catchphrases. I don't know, but take care, folks. Thank you for listening to the Blur Havoc podcast. Purchase the Blur Havoc book series on Amazon Kindle or paperback today. 